Opulent Inventory, our proud partners here on the show. Now you can finally have the Apple product times the Apple guys. That's right, from AirPods to iPhones to MacBooks to Apple Watches to trade-ins and much more. Now you can have the Apple product of your dreams. Promo code podcast gets you 20% off. That's right, 20% off on any Apple item. Visit Opulent Inventory, Nash and Guardi. Those are great guys on all social media platforms and on Instagram. Now, let's head back to the show. We welcome you inside of our studios, the inside of broadcast booth, the Sebi Podcast Radio Show, streaming only here on WNSC Radio. Myself, your host, Sebi, alongside my ride partner, Michael Gray, tri-state area, Michael Gray, no longer DMV. Mike, what is popping? Nothing much, man. Everything's going good up here. It's, uh, weather's getting better up north, starting the new year off right. How about you? How's everything going down there? Everything is well. Everything is well. Here, it's the best time of the year. It's one of the best times of the year, Mike. Late December, early January, everything's in full swing and full throttle. College basketball, the NFL playoffs, the NBA is kicking into gear. Uh, it, it's 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 got to be one of the best. I mean, a great way to kick off the year. Yeah, definitely, definitely so, man. With all these sports going on, everything coming to fruition. Uh, it's it's a uh, special, you know. Basketball's going on. We're in the meat of the NFL playoffs. It's a it's a great time in sports, and it's like you know, as media members, you know, we can feel the end of the playoff energy in the NFL. We can feel the energy out there, um, you know, just by doing the media. So you were like you said, this is a great time. Well, let's we have to talk about what transpired last week in Super Wild Card Weekend. Not really your Wild Card Weekend there that we normally had. We have one first round by team, that being the Packers and the Chiefs in their respective conferences. But we look back at what happened, Mike, and we got to start from what happened Saturday afternoon, 1 o'clock Eastern. The Colts, tr- a, a, a late run kind of capped short, but the Buffalo Bills get their first win, Mike, since 1995, the days of Andre Reid, Jim Kelly, and some of those great Buffalo teams of the 90s. But Josh Allen and Stephon Diggs, they pretty much carry over whatever they did in the regular season, Mike, into the postseason, and they put on a show in front of their fans in Buffalo. The difference between men and boys is the lessons they learn. And Buffalo learned from their experience last year, coming up short in that playoff game, playing well early on against the Houston Texans, losing the lead, and then Josh Allen with that crazy fumble at the end, that uh, ill-advised young young, young mistake that he made in in a big-time moment. And they came back and they learned from it. Josh Allen was on target. He was poised. He was... um, he was getting the ball to his top receivers. And, um, you know, it was just a great all-around all performance from not only Josh Allen, but the Buffalo Bills in general. I mean, you know, throughout this game, it was a great game versus another tough opponent, an opponent that could um, have been a Super Bowl contender. It could have been one of the more prominent teams in the AFC had they gotten out of this first round. But um, they, they, they beat that hurdle. It's on to the next challenge. And, you know, it's almost like house money from now on for them. Going up against you know Baltimore and being, being 
uh, potentially the underdog in that game. And it's just – it's going to be um, – they got that monkey off their back, that first playoff win. So now it's, to, now it's just, you know, taking that next step and continuing to get better as an organization. The Bills triumphant 27-24 over the Indianapolis Colts uh, there. From that game, we go to one of the more biggest shockers to me in in, in the uh, in this past weekend. Now, I, it wasn't a shock because when we made our picks, Mike, I said that this would be a close one, and I thought the Seahawks would win by a field goal. But that was just the total opposite. I haven't seen, Mike, a more dominant performance defensively than what I saw from the Rams. I mean, the Rams sacked Russell Wilson five times. They had him rattled, Mike. They had him. And you don't see a lot of teams confuse and rattle Russell Wilson like that just because of his ability, his his cerebral IQ to being able to make plays that are unscripted, being able to move out of the pocket and then be just a defensive nightmare for opposing uh, 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 defenses because of what he could do with his legs and with his arm. But you look at the three lowest QBR ratings this year for Russell Wilson, all three came against the Los Angeles Rams. I mean, Mike, they put a hat on him, five sacks, uh, uh, two interceptions, three, three turnovers overall. Jalen Ramsey completely blanketed uh, DK Metcalf. And, of course, the, the horses that they got up front, Fox, Aaron Donald, Leonard Floyd, this is a this was a dominant performance by Sean McVay's unit. Yeah, it sure was. And and this team, um, you know, despite Jared Goff throughout his career being an inconsistent quarterback to some degree, this team this year is built around has a lot of success built around Jared Goff that is offsetting his inconsistencies. When you look at the dominant defense on all three levels. Uh, being really the anchor for this team and setting the tone. When you look at the offensive line and how dominant they've been in the pass blocking game, but also in the running game as well for those backs. And then you have a, when this guy, Sebi, I've noticed something this year with the Rams. When Cam Akers goes off, this Rams team is a whole is a whole. He takes this team to a whole different level. Yep. And uh, you saw that again this week. We saw it early on this season in games against the Patriots, against the Bears, uh, certain games like that. But we saw it again in Seattle in a pivotal playoff game against a uh, divisional rival. And Cam Akers had a game. I mean, it was one drive. That drive when it was 13-10 in the second quarter. And he he literally single-handedly drove them down the field himself, whether it was running the football, catching the ball off the backfield, and he capped it off with a touchdown that really set the tone for the Rams and let them know um, the type of game it was going to be in. From there, from that point on, they held surge. It was it was a physical win. It was a dominant win by this defense. And the Rams, I know they go against Green Bay, but with that defense, they have a formula to potentially beat Green Bay with that defense. As good as they are, I mean, you, you can't rule them out any week, Sabi. No, you really can't. The Rams got they have like a championship like defense. They're number one ranked in the NFL overall. That they're top ranked. And one thing they say about the postseason, your defense may have hurdles and and they may go through obstacles, but defense travels. They, you can backpack your defense anywhere. You can take it to you at Lambeau. You can take it to you in the Superdome. You could take it with you uh, to uh, Arlington. You can take it with you in London. Defense always travels, and that is something that they can rely on moving on forward if they want a deep postseason run. Cam Akers, Mike, 176 total yards. He did on the ground and also in the pass-catching game. He had that big, big, big 50-yarder uh, screen that, that Goff threw him. 
So we'll see what the Rams can do as an encore to kind of duplicate their performance that they had in Seattle late night in Mike's form, former hometown. The Washington Redskins hosted the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, formerly known as the Redskins, now the Washington football team. A lot of chatters by 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 uh, Chase Young, Mike. A lot of chatters, and we said we loved it. But as Bruce Arian said, be careful for what you wish for. Here's the stats for Chase Young that night, Mike. One total tackle the entire night. One total tackle the entire night. Tom Brady put on a show. And, and must we expect anything less from it, Mike? 381 through the air. Two touchdowns to Antonio Brown and one to Chris Godwin. And they also got Lennon Fournette going on the ground. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers, Mike, they picked off offensive stuff in the last five games for the regular season. Yeah, they have. They, they've been tremendous. And like you said, this is playoff time. He always locks in and focuses up a little bit more when when it's playoff time. And uh, we saw that again against the Washington football team, who surprisingly, Sebi, defensively, especially on the line of scrimmage, got tossed around all game. I mean, they got they got uh, uh, they got handled pretty well by the Tampa Bay offensive line. Um, they, they, they didn't get much pressure on Brady. They didn't get many plays in the backfield on the backs. Uh, it was it was a, it was a rough night for the Washington front seven against Tampa Bay this week, and um, this is what you expect. When you, like you said, Chase Young gave them not only Tom Brady added motivation, he gave this offensive line added motivation because they're the ones that um, are they're, they're the ones defending him from getting to to the quarterback. So it's um, that all oh, you could tell that offensive line was motivated because they made sure they pretty much handed it to him, but also uh, making plays outside with with their with their receivers. You see the rapport with Tom Brady and Antonio Brown is getting more and more sharp week by week. But, um, it's getting warmer, Mike. Getting warmer, getting warmer, and, and this is the perfect time uh, for it to get where it needs to go. Going against New Orleans next this week, so this is the perfect time for them to get sharp and continue to get hot. But for the Washington football team, I hats off to them as a total team because this kid Taylor Heineke, he came in, he played uh, pretty well. He didn't, he played in spurts, better than I, I anticipated him to play. Um, you know, he threw for over three hundred yards total. But at the end of the day, they still had a chance to win this game in the end. And um, hats off to the to Washington football team. They were big-time underdogs in this game. But Tom Brady and this Tampa Bay Buccaneers team was just too much uh, on Sunday, on Saturday night, excuse me. And, and can we give Ron Rivera credit? I mean, this is a guy that battled cancer. Um, coaches don't get a, 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 a comeback coach of the year, but he would be my nominee for that for sure. Think about all the hurdles and, and the obstacles that the, the adversity that not only himself had to go through, but this team uh, being able and wounded, not having a consistent quarterback all year. You started with Kyle Allen. Then you went with Dwayne Haskins. Then all of a sudden, you know, Alex Smith comes back and then Taylor Heineke, who I think Mike should get some should get huge recognition in that in, in, in that organization as potentially the starter next year. Because, I mean, my goodness, uh, against a Todd Bowles defense where you know blitzers were coming. And what what really impressed me, Mike, was when, when Bowles was dialing it up, he knew the hot reads. He knew where to throw the ball. They say when you blitz at the corner position, you, you throw the ball right where the, the blitz came from because there's nobody there. <laughs> if the wide receiver makes a move, he's out. And I was very impressed with what I saw with his legs. So I would take... A lot of consideration in having in looking at this kid as my potential starter, at least for next season. What doesn't matter, Mike, this year was a success for the Washington football team. 
Yes, it was actually, and, and it was a success because, you know, it was it was a success in most people's eyes. I feel like it was a it w- it would have been a success whether they had won the division or not. Now, because the division was one of the worst we've seen this season in NFL history, they were fortunate enough to win to win the NFC East with the seven and nine record. But had they gone seven and nine and lost the division because you know it was better competition throughout, I still feel like this would have been a successful uh, season for them because, like you said, the the maturation process and how they got better. Uh, as the season progressed and how they just came together as one and you started to see this team jail. Yes, there was inconsistencies at certain positions and certain coaching positions and things of that nature. But like you said, Ron Rivera, with everything he had to battle, he did a phenomenal job this year. And him and this, when it comes to this division, him and Joe Judge have been two of the best quarterbacks uh, as far as consistency and galvanizing the troops uh, that, that we've seen not only in the league but in this division as well. So got to give Ron Rivera props. Taylor Heineke, I wouldn't. I would um I, I like what I saw from him on Sunday, but at the same time, for future references, because uh, you gave uh, you gave defenders and uh, future opponents film on you for next year to to study some of your tendencies and things like that. I would I would personally have him on the team, but I would definitely go out and still search for another quarterback because yes, he can. The the best thing about him over Alex Smith or the other quarterbacks there, he can push the ball down the field. He, he, you could tell he could yep. throw the ball down the field. He can get the ball down there. And he made plays for guys, something that Alex Smith just couldn't do. So even though I would have him in consideration, I definitely would have um, some other um, opportunities or some other uh, poss- possibilities at quarterback for next season. Expect a quarterback controversy next season in the offseason for the Washington football team. And, Mike, obviously we go back to the Sunday games now, and this was the granddaddy of them all, <laughs> the one that we've been waiting for. The Baltimore Ravens finally conquering, invading Nashville, Tennessee, defeating the Titans 20 to 13. This was all about Lamar Jackson, Mike. This was all about Lamar Jackson and the physical nature of the Baltimore Ravens. This was the reason why, Mike, that I said if they can get over this hurdle and get past the Titans, the physicality nature of this football team, and, and they take the personality of Jim, uh, Jim Harbaugh, that travels with you in any building, in any arena, in any stadium that they go to. And boy, they it, it, Lamar Jackson was was special. He was dynamic again. Sixteen rushes, a buck thirty six on the ground. Uh, that might be one of the greatest runs that that I've ever seen. Being able to survey, you're going through your progressions one, two, three, four, then find that. You know, pressure's coming and then being able to escape. And Mike, once he got to the 10 and 20 yards uh, after <laughs> after the line of scrimmage, I mean, the 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 afterburners just, just came, Mike. I mean, the guy was unbelievable. Defensively, what they did against Derrick Henry, the league has never seen. They, they, they did something that the league has failed to do for the last two to three seasons, and that is being able to – limit Derrick Henry to 40 yards rushing. 40 yards rushing, Mike. When was the last time we ever heard Derrick Henry have 40-yard rushing? And that is a testament to Matthew Judon and Calais Campbell and some of these guys that was up front. They took the text. They, they accepted the challenge, Mike, that they needed to stop 22. And boy, did they ever do it. And did they ever. And it was consistent all night. You know, it's times, it's times only Sebi, where you see team stop Derrick Henry or contain Derrick Henry for a yep. half and then in the second half that he wears them down and 
you know, but he, he, he has a dominant performance. In this game, they kept the consistency and they kept at it for four quarters. And they, they, didn't, they never gave him a hot streak. They never gave him a green light or a run here to give him some momentum. No, they continuously stifled him. I, th- I mean, you know, his biggest yard, his his longest runs weren't 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 the, weren't the craziest, and it was it was a dominant performance physically from the front seven. Even even some of the the secondary players coming in to chip in and help. It was a, a total team effort from the defense, but also like you said, Lamar Jackson and this offense and what they were able to do. This offensive line, I'm gonna give them a lot of credit because they were the more physical team. This defense, they, they were the more physical team. This line of scrimmage on both sides. The last two times they played Tennessee, they got out physical. And it's rare that you see a Baltimore Ravens team uh, get out physical by somebody else. But that's exactly what happened the last two times they played the Tennessee Titans on their home turf. So the fact that they went on the road and gave them that added momentum. And then on top of the fact that, you know, they they put the icing on the cake when Peters, you know, uh, led the charge for the defense stomping on 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 their field and sending them home. It's just bittersweet, man. It's just a great script. It's a great story. Uh, to talk about as far as, you know, coming back from that uh, adversity. And uh, Baltimore is on to the next phase, man. This is a team that is poised because their record at the time when they were 6-5 and five and stuff didn't show how good they really were. This is the best running team in football. And when you have a run, you can run the football and play defense like that, like we just mentioned, man, you can go far in this league. And Absolutely. I, I the Baltimore, Baltimore Ravens, the number one rushing far. attack in football. Mike, here's the stat. They put up another 369 on the ground. This past Sunday, we'll be see if they'll be able to duplicate that in round two. The four o'clock afternoon game that Sunday was the Bears going to the Saints. This was also a regular season rematch in overtime where the Saints beat the Chicago Bears in Chicago, 26-23. At that time, Taysom Hill was quarterback. Different story this time. All of their horses were were there, Kamara healthy. Uh, from from COVID nineteen protocols, Mike Thomas, um, he he was involved as well with Drew Brees. But the story of this game, Mike, was this defense, this Saints defense. We talk about it all year long. Jack Rabbit, Malcolm Jenkins, uh, to uh, uh, J- uh, Geronimo Davis. I mean, the list goes on. I mean, they've got a lot of players on that defense. Cam Jordan, and you would think that you know on on the Bears side of the equation. Mike, this Bears defense is still a championship-level defense. I, I truly believe this. This Bears defense is still a championship-level defense. If you had told me that the Bears had held the Saints to 21 points, I would say you guys have a shot. You guys have a shot. But the problem is, Mike, Matt Nagy and Trubisky, that continuity has has just drained into the water because the Bears were only able to manage nine points. Nine points. Now, if you're able to to limit that potent offense to 21 points that should be enough to be able to compete for a road win but the problem is they're just so in the man on, on offense you give kudos to the saints defense for that i thought that was the story mike that's the that's the story and Sebi, that's been the story for the chicago bears unfortunately for the last about three three seasons or so this defense has been championship level super bowl potential over the last few seasons, and they've continuously got better with the pieces that they've added to this defense. But with this uh, inept offense and just 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 pathetic, a, a pathetic excuse of an offense, they they they're shot because as they the defense can be even better than what they are showing right now. The problem is 
the offense continuously puts them out on the field and continuously wears them out to the point where that 21 points could have really been 14 had they got some help or some possessions off the field from the offense, you know. So, like you said, man, this offense is really going to – and I, I fear, Sebi, I really do fear that Chicago is going to waste this prime defense. I fear that they're going to go through this stretch with a great defense and there's going to be times where – uh, they have an opportunity to get offensive weapons, get offensive talent in here to make this a complete team. <laughs> Excuse me, but but they just haven't gotten it. They, they, and by the time they actually do get an offense, it's going to be a little too little too late. I, that, that's my fear for the Chicago team because, man, this defense right here, there's a lot of offenses out here in this league that would, that, that would kill to have a defense like the Chicago Bears. It's sad what they're going through right now, but hats off to the New Orleans Saints. The New Orleans Saints handle business. They, their defense looks – just as dominant, if not more dominant right now, and more sound and, better, and, and much, much more well-coached. So uh, th- that's why New Orleans came out with the victory, and they're, they're one of the more poised teams to make a run as well. So Yeah, New Chicago Orleans is a mess. They, Sunday, they, they, uh, they're a mess. probably looking at a clean house right there. <laughs> they need a quarterback, and status is up in the area if Matt Nagy even returns in a Chicago sideline. So they're, they're, they're just a mess on offense. <laughs> they need to blow everything up off from coordinators to the quarterback coach to tight end coach to it all. But uh, as for the Saints, Mike, Alvin Kamara, what he's done in his first five seasons, very exclusive, exclusive. He joined a very exclusive group. Only Barry Sanders and the great Walter Payton have more scrimmage yards in their first five seasons than Alvin Kamara. This guy's special, Mike. He really is. He really is. We'll see what the Saints do in round two and probably the biggest upset mike of them all <laughs> for the entire super super uh, uh wild card weekend had to be what the browns did now credit to me because i had the browns winning and i thought the reason why i had the browns winning is because everything that i stated about the pittsburgh steelers one in four in the last five games how they looked and, and, and like that i i don't like to pick teams that Later on in this November, heading to December, you don't look good. To me, those are red flags. And it showed. Down 28 nothing. now. Things like that never happen. It's, it's, it's an anomaly to see a team ever down 28 nothing. But the Pittsburgh Steelers have nothing to, not, who, nobody else to blame themselves. A turnover machine that Big Ben Roethlisberger turned out. In front of their home building, it was a mess. I thought it was an embarrassment of a performance for the black and yellow and the terrible towels in Heinz Field. But you got to give credit to what 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 the Browns did. I, I thought that Miles Garrett could be able to bring pressure, and he brought pressure, and he had horses with them defensively. They forced five turnovers four interception of Big Ben obviously he put up great numbers late but those were stat pats and stuff but Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt I think this Browns offense Mike is scary because if these two guys are able to rush combined for 100 and be able to impact the passing game with over 100 yards combined as well that spells trouble so the Browns amidst of everything not having their coach, not having three starters, and be able to do that in Pittsburgh, that was a Herculean effort. Whatever happens the rest of this postseason, th- this year has been a success for the Browns. This year has been a success for them. Yeah. I thought they are a, a year ahead of schedule, but whatever they do, and I, if they were to somehow even beat the Chiefs and move in, this season has been a success for Kevin Stefanski's game. But I want to talk about Pittsburgh here, Mike, because two people 
are 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 front and center for me right now, and that's Mike Tomlin. Now, Mike Tomlin's job is safe. Uh, he he should be able to get a long term deal for the Steelers. I'm not sure why that hasn't been done yet, but he he deserves that. But without a competent coach, you're going up at a, a, a more inferior team without their head coach never being without having any postseason success in recent memory and you lose like that this we we have to give some of the blame to mike tomlin number two i think it's time mike i I think that the steelers have to turn the page and and get a quarterback whether that be drafting a quarterback or whether that be trading for somebody here's an idea i have a guy that wears number four in houston that wants to get out of that debacle, that really wants to get away from that problem in Houston. They, he doesn't want his prime years to be wasted. You guys have a championship defense. They were top ranked for about 11 weeks. If you can have a guy like Deshaun Watson come to the city of Pittsburgh, that might be the solution. So those two things they need to consider. We're talking about the Rooney family that are the GMs of Pittsburgh and Mike Tomlin. That has to be a discussion this offseason because the days of Big Ben being the answer in Pittsburgh, I think, are over. Yeah, yeah, you're absolutely right. <laughs> the days in Pittsburgh, the days of Pittsburgh for Big Ben are over. They're, 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 it's there. And the over <laughs> the vibe, you can just tell it's there. Um, what, what we saw, we, we just can't see accuracy down the field from Ben. We just, we just don't see it anymore. We saw it early on with all the weapons that they had in Pittsburgh offensively. For a long stretch of time, and we started to see that continuously deteriorate, deteriorate year after year after year after year, and get worse. And and now all of a sudden, it's to the point where, you know, it's just, it's just not there. Now he's still one of the more streaky quarterbacks of all time, and he's always been that way. When he gets hot, he he can he can fling the ball all over the place. But that hasn't been as consistent as the Steelers needed to be at this point in at the point in time. And that's a great analogy you bringing up. Deshaun Watson from Houston because the Steelers are in a win now situation. They don't. It's not a situation where you know you want to develop a quarterback and get him ready and things like that. Deshaun Watson is someone that's already developed. He's one of the best quarterbacks in football, and you give him these uh, the, the situation where and, and you you continue to 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 work on this team and continue to get better weapons around him and build around him. Yes, th- this team is poised and ready to win right now with Deshaun Watson. But you're right; it's time to move on from Big Ben. Mike Tomlin is good. He deserves some blame for this loss, but he's still good in my book long term. Um, but you're right. Big, Big Ben, your time, your time is up in Pittsburgh. And uh, th- anyone like Deshaun Watson, a veteran piece that that, um, that that can make things happen, would be a great fit in Pittsburgh. Absolutely. Now, the, the, the thing is, is do they have the ammunition to get uh, Deshaun Watson? That's the thing. Deshaun Watson led the NFL in passing yards this season, Mike, in a bad, 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 bad situation. And Houston, he just still managed to put up 4,800 yards. How? I am not sure. That speaks to the level of greatness of Deshaun Watson. If he were to go to Pittsburgh, Claypool and Smith-Schuster would be a, a great one-two punch to have. Uh, I think that, that that is well. But there's there's also some other great places. You hear about the Miami Dolphins as a great. I think that's an excellent fit. Um, you hear about the 49ers as well. So where where could you see Deshaun Watson, Mike? Mm, that's a great question. I can see Deshaun Watson going to. I think a great place would be a great place would be Pittsburgh. That'd be one of the more ideal spots. 
uh, to come to the Washington Redskins could potentially, excuse me, Washington football team could potentially be a team to pay attention to and look after, uh, you know, teams like that. But um, the Dallas Cowboys, depending on their situation, what they want to do with um, with Andy Dalton and moving forward or what they want to do with Dak Prescott moving forward. It's a, it's a few teams, the San Francisco 49ers. I'm, I'm not I, – I, from everything I'm seeing, the San Francisco 49ers look like they want to move on from Jimmy right. G. They, they, that, that's what I'm saying. So San Francisco could be a could be a viable opportunity, but um, I'm re- I'm really I'm really liking this Pittsburgh idea. This Pittsburgh idea is really intriguing and understanding. And the New England Patriots could also be a potential spot for absolutely because of you know they, they I don't I just don't see Cam Newton uh, coming back to that team next year. And with Deshaun Watson, I'm sure they won't make the same mistake they made with Cam Newton and not give him any viable weapons on the outside. So. With some legitimate weapons on um, in New England, he could be a great fit there. But it's it's plenty of options for a guy like that, man, because he's an asset. And when you're an asset like that, you're you're wanted in plenty of different areas. Now, now you said two places that actually caught my eye, and that's Dallas and New England. Now, Deshaun Watson is an upgrade over Dak Prescott. I wouldn't say it's a drastic upgrade, but it's it's very much yeah. an upgrade because the turnovers yeah. that. Prescott would make Deshaun eliminates those already, and so that yeah. that above and beyond helps the Dallas Cowboys on offense. But you've got weapons, Omari, Gallup, um, and you've got the young uh, rookie and C.D. Lamb, and you still got Ezekiel Elliott. He still gets the state in the state of Texas, no state taxes. That might be an intriguing thing. So Dallas for sure is, is, is one. And then, of course, whenever you can – if can you imagine Josh McDaniels and Bill Belichick getting their hands on Deshaun Watson – Mike, we could potentially be seeing another road to another dynasty. That would be unbelievable. So those two, those two spots are underrated spots. But if they can find a way to move up the draft and, and being able to find ways to maybe get multiple picks or something, those two places are are, are great places. Are very intriguing and, and 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 based on the teams that you're playing for, you're playing for the the, the so-called quote-unquote America's team and the Dallas Cowboys, and then you're playing on, on the other team that has been the the, the more realistic... Or the, more <laughs> the realistic America's team, team, right. Over the last 20 years. So the, those two organizations, you're bringing a, a, a huge spotlight on yourself and, you know, you're putting a, a immense pressure on yourself, but you're putting... Um, it, it's, it's two great spots where you would want to be. I mean, Dallas more so because of the weapons and the, the idea of being there, but New England, because of the coaching and the mystique and the culture that's already been set up there, that would be a great spot to go as well. So, you know, it's just dope. But I feel like Pittsburgh would be a great opportunity as well. It's just like you said, the assets, do they have? To, do they want to take on that contract that he has? Uh, do they have the cash space for him? Do they want to give up some of the assets that they already have, you know, now? So it, it'll be interesting. Watch out for the, the city of Chicago as well. One thing we know about Chicago, they're crazy for their football. And with the problems with Trubisky and Matt Nagy, watch out for them as well with that championship made defense. Everything, football, we discuss it, we analyze it, we dissect it, the Sebi Podcast Radio Show. We'll go ahead and discuss round two of the playoffs next, the Sebi Podcast Radio Show, live inside Studio Z.
And we are back here in Star CEO's segment two of our show. It's the divisional round, Mike. It's round two of the NFL playoffs. It kicks off Saturday afternoon, 435 Eastern at Historical Lambeau Field. Rodgers, Devontae Adams, both all pro going up against Aaron Donald and Jalen Ramsey, both all pro at their respected positions. That sets up for a a heavyweight clash at Lambeau, Mike. How do you see this going now? Man, it's going to to be interesting, man. It's going to be a clash of, you know, one of the hottest offenses we've seen this year in the Green Bay Packers versus, like you said, the number one ranked overall defense in the Rams. It's going to be head-to-toe Jalen Ramsey versus Devontae Adams, Aaron Donald versus David Bateari in this offensive line. These guys are versus Aaron and getting to Aaron Rodgers. It's going to be uh, it's going to be a very physical matchup, and I'm, I'm interested to see the other side as well. This uh, play action, this offensive line versus this defense of the of the um, Green Bay Packers. We know one of the weaknesses. This, this Green Bay Packers defense is very solid, but one of the weaknesses we've noticed over this uh, over the season for this defense is that you can run the football, particularly up the middle on this team. And what we when the Rams have had success. It's um, when they've been running the football with Cam Akers and those guys. So we'll see the, the the battle in the trenches, the battle between, you know, the linebackers and the running backs and, you know, the D, obviously Devontae Adams versus Jalen Ramsey. But it's going to be a hyped up matchup. It's going to be physical. It's going to be uh, it's going to be everything, everything we want to see. So <laughs> it's a popcorn ready. The Rams and Packers are going to be a good one. For sure. A- any predictions on that? Yes, I'm going to go with the Green Bay Packers to win this game. I, I, like, I like the Green Bay Packers. I like what I'm seeing from Aaron Rodgers. Jared Goff is still a little little hurt. Yes, he got past this, this game against Seattle, but he didn't have to do much. I feel like the Green Bay Packers are not going to allow uh, Cam Akers in this running game to beat them. It's going to force Jared Goff to put up big numbers, and I don't see him doing that. I see Aaron Rodgers uh, putting up. Uh, putting up enough numbers and, and, and a big enough offensive performance to pull this game up. See, this this game, to me, Mike, spells trouble for the Packers, and here's why. I think the Packers will win this game. I do. I, I think the Green Bay will get the job done. They'll do everything that they need to be able to leave Lambeau with a victory, but this has all the spelling of, of problems because – Again, we talk about this elite defensive front. We talk about this elite defense overall because the back end is just as good as the as as the the front seven, and the Rams can actually run the football. Malcolm Brown, Cam Akers, they have a physical offensive line led by Andrew Whitworth, that left tackle. If he's not one of the best left tackles in the NFL, I'm not sure who is. So they pull every time they they run that Gary Kubiak stretch run offense. So all of this to me, you're going up against a physical teams in Green Bay in, in recent postseason memory, recent postseason memory, they haven't done well stopping the run. So this worries me. But at the end of the day, I, I think that uh, Mike Pettin, the defensive coordinator, they learned their lesson last year uh, from the 49ers, gashing them for about 230 on the ground. I think they'll be able to stop the run and kind of neutralize it and dare Jared Goff to throw to Cooper Cup, throw to Robert Woods and, and some of these uh, playmakers, uh, Van Jefferson, rookie out of Florida. They're going to have to dare them to to throw the football. Tyler Higby may be a, a guy that that spells the huge in ball game, but I think Rodgers will be able to 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 do just enough, just enough to win this football game, and it won't be Devonte Adams. I, I think Ramsey will be able to 
kind of neutralize him. But the guys, we're talking about Robert Tanyan, who had 10 touchdowns as a tight end. Guys yeah. like uh, uh, Valdez Scantling, he's going to have to step up. The others, because Ramsey will be on Adams. So I, I think A-Rod a will do just enough to get the Packers over the Rams. I, I say maybe around a six or seven point edge. Yeah, it's going to be close. It's going to be somewhere around that line as well. I feel like it, I feel like it's going to be a defensive game early between two teams, and then the offenses are going to wake up a little bit more in the second half, and it's going to come down to Aaron Rodgers putting these guys away, and I don't think the Rams have enough to, match, to catch up with them. I agree, too. Here, to me, Mike, the, the, the wild card here is Jared Goff. Here, he, he's the wild card because here's why. First three seasons with under McVay, and McVay's a great coach, especially great offensive mind. Jared Goff's numbers, he's had a 105.1 passer rating in his first three seasons combined. Since then, we're talking year four and year five now, that's drastically decreased to 85. You go from 105 to 85, that's not just a little tick, a, 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 a little downgrade. That is a drastic downgrade. So I, I think the the recipe for the Rams is Goff is ha- has to have one of those game of the ages throwing the football. And and he can. We saw him on a Monday night outdoor uh, Patrick Mahomes and the, and the Chiefs. He, he's, he's more than capable of doing it, Mike, but I think he's the wild card in this matchup. Yeah, he definitely is. He definitely is because, you know, the – the, the, you can't in the playoffs. You can't count on the running game. You have to count on your quarterback playing your best players to get it done, especially in today's NFL. So, Jared Goff is going to be an X factor. If he comes out and has an all world performance, then you know all bets are off. Anything can happen in this game, and the Rams could very well win this game with how good their defense is playing. But uh, I just don't see that happening. Not with the injury. Not with you know, you know how how hobbled he looked uh, coming into that game last week. And then, uh, you know, surgery not too long ago. It's, it's just it's a lot to ask for. We'll see his performance. But you're going against the the, the future MVP. You, you, you're going to have to bring your A game. Yeah, agreed, Mike. You're going to have to be able to throw the football and try to match possessions for possessions for this Green Bay offense, who's number one ranked in the NFL on offense and number one in points. <laughs> the Rams defense definitely has their work cut out for him. It's strength versus strength, Mike. Number one ranked offense versus number one ranked defense. We'll be excited to watch that Saturday afternoon. The evening cap is one that I'm eager to watch, Mike. The fifth-seeded Baltimore Ravens travel to Buffalo. Buffalo, again, this is the first time in almost two-plus decades that they have a meaningless football game in the postseason. They have the Ravens, who's won six in a row. That includes the postseason. They're going against the Buffalo Bills. You talk about Rodgers and Adams. I think Josh Allen and Diggs has been as spectacular, if not better. Uh, but to me in this matchup, it, it's it's interesting because what the Baltimore Ravens do best, and that's run the football, I, Sean McDermott is, is a defensive coach. He will. I, I don't think he'll permit the Ravens to just be able to dictate tempo, run the football, leave that high potent offense on the sidelines. I don't think they're going to be aggressive. What I know about Buffalo is they're going to be great. Very, very aggressive up front. Ed Oliver, some of the other guys that they have, the great linebacker and Trey Edmonds They're they're going to be able to uh, 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 stop the run. And I think they're going to force Lamar to throw the football to Des Bryant. He's going to have to throw the ball to Hollywood Brown. This is a game where, Opposite of the Rams, Lamar is going to have to throw. He's going to have to throw. And I, I think the Buffalo Bills win this football game, Mike. I, I really do. I, I like 
They're clicking on all cylinders. The defense is solid. Um, special teams as well is very solid. They haven't allowed any kick or punt returns uh, for touchdowns all year long. So I like Buffalo at home. I think they're going to get the job done um, in a very close one. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to go with the Baltimore Ravens. I like the momentum they're on right now. And you brought up an interesting point about, you know, the, the Buffalo Bills and, you know, Sean Mader, those guys, they, they don't, they're not just going to sit back and let them dictate tempo. Uh, Baltimore uh, teams aren't out here letting Baltimore do anything. Baltimore's going out there and taking it, and they're just dominating at the line of scrimmage. And that offensive line is it's not very creative offense. It's not unique in their play calling. It's just running it straight at you and whether or not you're going to be able to stop it or not. And we've seen it all year from this team. This is literally, from top to bottom, probably the best offensive line in football because of how consistent they've been. They've been consistently knocking guys off the line of scrimmage, consistently uh, keeping their quarterback uh, up afloat and keeping their running backs creating holes for the lanes for the backs. And I see no, no no different against this team. They've done it against some of the best defenses in this league, some of the worst defenses in this league. And I see this being no difference in this game because they're so locked in, because they're so uh, ready for this moment. They understand the magnitude of it. I have the Baltimore Ravens winning this game, dictating tempo, being able to run the football, maybe not only just with the backs, but with Lamar Jackson, the combination of both, and setting the tone that, and also playing great defense, making enough plays in, um, in, in the turnover margin, or just making up enough plays in general, getting pressure on Josh Allen to win this game. I got the Baltimore Ravens winning a physical dogfight, uh, low-scoring matchup somewhere around 23-17 to 17 in Buffalo. Mm, interesting stuff. Interesting. So the Sunday games, one o'clock Eastern, <clears throat> we have the Browns traveling to Barbecue City against the defending champs. Uh, this one is going to be interesting. Like this one is very interesting. You've got the Browns. They're red hot as well. I, I, what I'm going to look in this matchup is what is the levels uh, for this team? And I'm talking about that was an emotional win. They put everything on that Pittsburgh win. You know, they 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 had their division <laughs> division foe telling them they're this old Browns. They're using that as fuel. When a team, a very young team, to me, I've seen this before, Mike. When a very young team gets a hungry win like that, they, they there's there's a potential uh, place for a letdown. Are are they going to be able to like just you know emotionally get up emotion exactly? Are going to are they going to be ready because? This isn't the Pittsburgh Steelers. This is the defending champs. You're going up against Patrick Mahomes, Eric Bieniemy, Andy Reid. Uh, that trio alone f- strikes fear on opposing defenses. You're going up against, uh, I mean, uh, the 2018 NFL MVP, the 2019 Super Bowl MVP. This is a whole nother, uh, 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 you know, level to what you want to be. You want to be the best, you got to be able to beat the best. And I think this is going to be a shootout, Mike. I think this is going to be a shootout because the the Browns, they, they ha- there are holes in, in that KC defense. There are holes that they can exploit. They can run the football. They can be able to throw with, with Landry, with Donovan Peoples Jr., with Rashard Higgins, some of these guys that they have on the outside. I look for Njoku to get involved in this matchup as well. Sorensen and, and Njoku, I think that's a matchup that the Browns, that is in their favor. But in the end, I, I see both teams putting up 30, but I, I do see the Chiefs being able to win this football game just because it's too much answers. They, they, the Chiefs have, for every 
for every defensive scheme that you may throw at them, they have answers. They I've never seen a team in quite some time. Maybe the 07 Patriots when they went unbeaten. Maybe the 15 and one Packers, but they they just have answers for anything you throw at them. I think that's going to be too much. You're going. You have a young team, a very young team, going against a team that you know that's been there and done that. I, I, I like the Chiefs to get things done in a very close shootout. I like the Chiefs to get things done this week as well. I like them to to advance to the next round, and it's because um, just as a total team, I just think that the, the magnitude of this moment is going to be big. Um, you brought up a great point, and I actually agree with your point about them getting uh, the Browns get, uh, getting emotionally. Uh, it being tough for them to get emotionally up for this game. I, I feel like they'll be up for this game, but they'll realize that this is a taller task than going against the, uh, uh, Patrick Mahomes is a taller task to go against the big Ben Roethlisberger right now at this point in their careers. Um, uh, they're going to see how tough it is and, and and why he's one of the best, if not the best quarterback in football right now. They're going to, they're going to get a dose. And, and not only on the offensive side of how many weapons these guys have in the playoffs, I've noticed over the last couple of years, especially last year, when this defense gets to the playoffs, they turn their game up to a whole other level. So defensively, I feel like this team on Kansas City is going to be doing even better than what we saw in the regular season. And you're going to see uh, this defense, which isn't the best defense in the league, and not even one of the best. It's a it's a it's a pretty it's a pretty mid mid average defense. But you're going to see them rise their game up to to a higher level in the playoffs and and, and be even more locked in. Tyron Matthews is going to step his game up. Guys like that just going to just going to Make sure, make sure everything's right on that side. So, I'm gonna go with the I'm gonna go with the Kansas City Chiefs to handle their business. And a guy that you know very well, Mike Steve Spagnuolo, great defense coordinator yeah. for those championship yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Giants. I know that brings great memories. Oh, uh, yes. But for them, I, I think their philosophy is is we're a bend but not break defense. Yes, we're gonna be able. Yes, you got you may be able to move the ball against us, but when we get inside the twenty, we want to be able to uh, force kicks and that's field goals rather than touchdowns because we know if we can do that our offense you won't be able to match three versus seven because our offense will be able to score touchdowns and 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 secondly I think their philosophy is is the more possessions we can give number 15 on offense that bodes well for us so I I think their philosophy uh, on defense is you you know we don't have to be the Bears or, or the Pittsburgh Steelers but can we are we able to to, to force teams to kick field goals inside the 20? Are we able to get off the field on three and outs and give Patrick Mahomes that football? And so I, I think that's the approach that they take the, in this ballgame. And, and, and I, what I expect a shootout. I, I, I expect it to be a shootout. It's, it's, well, uh, yeah, yeah. I, 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 I can see how you, how, how you can say, say shootout. I, on the other hand, I'm, I'm going to say it's going to be like a, in, the, in the mid-20s. I say like something. I say somewhere between the lines of twenty-seven to twenty-four, or twenty-eight to twenty-four, in that range somewhere. But 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 I, but I, I can definitely see a higher score than that, depending on the type of game and the flow and the momentum of how it goes out. Yeah, I agree there as well. And of course, for the late game, <laughs> they said that this this game should be aired on the History Channel. It's funny how they had Nickelodeon on <laughs> last week. <laughs> they said this one should be aired on the History Channel, Mike. Uh, oh, yeah. has never seen this in the postseason, and that's two quarterbacks, two starting quarterbacks, uh, two proven quarterbacks that are first ballot Hall of Famers in their 40s uh, 
going up against each other. And that's Tom Brady versus Drew Brees. This is the third meeting of these division foes in the NFC South. And Mike, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers are going to win this football game. To me, mm. they're the younger seed. They're, they are the lower seed at, as the fifth seed. It is hard to beat a team three times in a row. It, it, it really is. It's, it's really hard. And trust me, Brady and Bruce Arians and that entire Bucks locker room, they, they, they're – the the Saints have gotten their attention. They've got the, the the attention of the Saints. Trust me. We remember what happened on Sunday Night Football when they got oh, yeah. it thirty eight to three. I think somewhere in that locker room, Bruce Arians is is throwing that out. Maybe in a slideshow or maybe via Zoom meeting. He's he's putting that somewhere in that locker room, showing the Antonio Brown, showing Chris Godwin, showing Mike Evans and and Cameron Bray, Rob Gronkowski. They're showing all of the players in that locker room, Devon White, Levante David, and Donna Kiksu. The list goes on. JPP. They're staring at 38-3. They remember what happened. And and Mike it's just hard. It really is to beat it three te- three times in a row. I think the the Buccaneers, they're as hot as any team. You may say the Browns, you may say the Baltimore Ravens. I can make an argument that the Tampa Bay Buccaneers have been one of the hottest teams in the NFL. And this stat right here is what I really like. In the last five games, six receiving touchdowns for Antonio Brown. I've seen in the past where Marshawn Lattimore has done a fantastic job against uh, uh, Mike Evans. And he gets up, Mike. He gets up on Sundays for Mike Evans. There's a few corners that I've seen. Pound for pound, you know, because Mike is, is a very physical wideout. He's he doesn't wow you with his speed, although he can create separation, but yeah. he's, he's physical at the point of the attack. And I think Marshawn Lattimore will be able to neutralize him. But last time Antonio Brown was healthy against New Orleans, 14 receptions, a buck 85 and a TD. He may not be that AB, but just the impact that he's had in the last six games tells me that the Bucks have turned the corner. I think this is the time, the third time's the charm. I like the Tampa Bay Buccaneers to win this football game. I like the Tampa Bay Buccaneers to win this football game as well. And I, I say that, I say with regard to, like like you said, it's hard to beat, I'm glad you brought it, it's hard to beat a team three times. The Tennessee Titans just found that out on Sunday, how hard it is to beat a team three times in a row, yet alone three times in a row in one season. Um, this this Tampa Bay team, the, the last time that they played, obviously, New Orleans handled them in Tampa Bay, thirty-eight to three. But that was a team that you know it was Antonio Brown's first first time with Tampa Bay. This team was early on, still trying to figure out how to win on a consistent basis with each other, trying to figure out the chemistry uh, amongst as as a cohesive unit. But now this team has figured things out. The the, the Tom Brady, the Antonio Brown connection is getting warmer and warmer as and getting better as weeks go by. You know the fact that they. Played, uh, you know, they they got even more sharp during the wild card. Both teams did. Uh, it's it's just it's it's evident that, that this is going to be a, a uphill battle. I have the Saints being very competitive, obviously because they're at home. Uh, all signs point that they should win, but at the same time, this is one of those games where a few breaks might go their way, a few turnovers might go Tampa Bay's way, and I feel like this Tampa Bay team right now is poised to win this game, and it's it's set up for them. Uh, you know, it's set up for them to win. So I, I, I feel like Tampa Bay Buccaneers are going to win this game as well. Tom Brady is going to have one of the best performances we've seen this year. Keep an eye on number 14 and uh, uh, Chris Godwin in this game as, as well. He's, true. he's been red hot, Mike, because Marshawn may be on, on, on 
Mike Evans in. I believe what the matchups are going to be is Jack Rabbit maybe on Antonio Brown. But I don't think they have an answer at the slot for Chris Godwin, who's terrified opposing secondaries in, in, in that slot position in the middle and yards after catch, one of the best in the NFL. Watch that to be something there as well. For the Saints, I, I think defensively what they've done against Tom Brady, are they able to duplicate that? Is that an encore? Because what they've done, Mike, in those first two games is they haven't blitzed Tom Brady. They, they haven't. They, they, they've gotten pressure with four, much like those great giant teams have done in the past. OCU Menorah, Michael Strahan, Justin Tuck. They, 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 they pressure with four, and they have seven in the back end. Now, that, that's crazy because if protection holds up, Brady's one of the best coverage quarterbacks I've ever seen. Yeah. Uh, but because without pressure, and if it holds up, you're screwed. But the Saints have been able to get home with four. Can they complete? Can they do that again? That's going to be the question for them for their path to victory. But I think the Bucks get it done this time. Yeah, I see. I see them get it done too. And like like you said, because the New Orleans was the only team this year to absolutely dominate the Tampa Bay Buccaneers two times in a row. They, like you said, they have their attention. That means that coming into this game and the fact that they're in New Orleans going on the road, they're going to be even that more locked. That much more locked in that much more focused on every single play. And who knows, the advantage might go in their favor this week. Yep, it might do so. You have gotten Baltimore, Green Bay, yes, uh, 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 Tampa Bay, and also uh, the Chiefs. I've gotten the Chiefs. I've got Buffalo. I have the Green Bay Packers and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. That's 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 my lone upset for the week. And okay. So you yeah. got a Tom Brady versus Aaron Rodgers NFC Championship. Okay. Right. And you've got a Tom Brady versus Aaron Rodgers. We agree in that. But you've got a Lamar Jackson versus got you. That's what, that's and, and Patrick Mahomes, a rematch of former MVPs. I've got Josh Allen versus Patrick Mahomes. KC. I think that sets up for, for a good championship weekend, whatever it is. I think both of those sets up for good championship weekends. We'll see who had... It right, the Sebi Podcast Radio Show. When we come back, our third and final segment, we're touch base in the NBA. Oh boy, Mike, James Harden saw that again. Sebi <laughs> yeah. Podcast Radio Show inside Studio Z. Back here on the Sebi Podcast Radio Show, the NBA Mike, the bearded one, James Harden, back on the news again after their losing effort against the Los Angeles Lakers last night. John Wall spoke out about he doesn't like the body language of uh, of a James Harden. He feels like it's one foot in and one foot out after nine games. Quotes that. You ready to jump off a cliff after nine games? There's a lot of basketball in the season to go. James Harden, you know, responding and, and, and stating that, you know, he loves the city of Houston, but he doesn't think that this situation is physical, it is, is fixable, end quote. 
It's crazy, Mike. The two. What's going on in Houston? You got Deshaun <laughs> wanting to leave. You got Harden wanting to leave. There's got to be something like, you know, Houston. Is he, what have you gone wrong, Mike? Oh, uh, you know, you got <laughs> Houston. We have a problem, I guess, right? Yeah, we do. <laughs> yeah, but uh, but nah, man, it's it's one of those situations where um, you know, you got two organizations that have haven't managed. Haven't managed uh, uh, their their respective teams right now. I mean that from from this perspective, from the Houston Rockets perspective, you haven't managed James Harden right ever since ever since uh, he's come to the team because there's been reports coming out that he's had some leeway and so much power in that organization that an average that well, not an average that a player shouldn't have, yet alone a superstar. Even though he is a superstar, he shouldn't be able to uh, be as, as lenient with certain things that, and get away with certain things that other players shouldn't get away with and stuff like that. It was too much it, it was too much rumors going around that, that he had too much power in Houston. That was one thing. And then once once you create a monster and you don't nip that nip it in the bud early and set the tone, then 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 then, then <laughs> it spells for danger. And for the Houston Texans, they continuously never put uh key pieces around Deshaun Watson, whether it was an offensive line or consistent weapons or getting rid of his best receiver and Deshaun and, and uh, uh, DeAndre Hopkins, excuse me. But it's, just, it's, it's, it's mismanaging to the point where these superstar players want to get out of there. And uh, with, with, excuse me, with Houston, with the Rockets, it's to the point now where it's just, it, it's, it's time to move on. I mean, it's, it's got too tumultuous. I was wondering how John Wall and some of the other uh, top players on that Houston Rockets team felt about the situation in Houston because John Wall, I, I, knowing what I know about John Wall here with his 10 years in Washington, this guy doesn't hold his tongue. He tells the truth, whether it's to the media, to anybody. He, he tells it to your face. He tells it like it is. And he says how he feels. And this is the first time we've actually got to, got to see how he feels about the situation that's going on right now in Houston with James Harden. It's an unfortunate situation because those guys seem like they're all in. And they came in with the mindset of James Harden with James. Uh, this could be a special team with James Harden in the helm, and that just hasn't been the case. James Harden's been there in the physical at times, but mentally he's checked out a long time ago. And uh, it's about time for them to go. Uh, now, now, right now, Houston is talking about uh, ex- uh, keeping them away from the team uh, until they they figure out a move to trade them. So it looks like it's going to be a pretty much done deal. The question is just who's. Uh, what team is he going to go to uh, moving forward, and what they're going to? What is Houston going to get back for him? It's it's interesting, Mike, because you know John Wall is probably looking at this in in the in the perspective of this is nine game nine games already. James Harden, he's probably saying, "I've been here for nine years, yeah, and 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 then I haven't had any uh you know NBA Finals success, let alone had a NBA Finals appearance, and it's just been it, it's 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 a debacle, Mike." Um, one of the things that 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 just got out is Demarcus Cousins, his teammate. He says that the disrespect has started way before the interview. It's it's been a nasty part. It's nasty for the business. This is the part that I don't like. You know what's crazy, Mike? Is I was actually excited about this Rockets team this year because yeah, I wanted to see how James Harden and John Wally. I've been a huge John Wall fan for years since Kentucky, and mm-hmm. pairing up with Christian Wood, who. May not be as good as Anthony Davis, but the man is a double-double machine. And you have a motivated Boogie Cousins. So I I thought the makeup of this team, that you've gone away from the D'Antoni era. They actually run plays now for the entire team. It's an offense that actually moves around and not stagnant. I was excited to see this. 
And to see James, uh, you know, not, you know, invested anymore or being able to to be in the interest of the team is just it's 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 demoralizing to me. And it's the more it's more demoralizing to the the, the city of Houston who's put their heart, soul and tears on James and, um, you know, to to the, the organization of the Rockets, who's given them the keys. And, and we had Andrea a few weeks ago and she said, this guy has the most power I've seen since Dennis Rodman. And, and it's the truth, Mike. It, it is. It is. We haven't seen a superstar like this in quite some time have absolute power as an authoritative figure. It, it's It's been... It, it, it's probably MJ, probably Dennis, Dennis Rodman. Yeah, those are the last two guys that I can... I, even the great LeBron James has is, is not had power like this. Now, he has power in the nba as a whole but it's 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 just demoralizing to me mike because i think the rockets have the pieces around james uh uh, to be able to compete and and not seeing that and not seeing him invested and embedded in what the rockets want to do is 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 just demoralizing to think yeah it is And, and, and and back to your point about you know James Harden having power and things like that. You know, this is the era of basketball that we live in. Now. The, the 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 relationship that the players ha- um have with their with the owners and GMs now is different than what we saw back in the day in in earlier basketball. You know, but back then, outside of probably Magic Johnson with Jerry Buss, or you know, like you said, Michael Jordan with Jerry Krause, or you know, Dennis Rodman, things like that. You, you didn't really see owners or GMs even communicate with players like that you saw them more so communicate with the agent yeah. uh, from that perspective so just seeing the the difference in what we see now is is, is crazy in times like that so um right now what james what, what's going on with these players and what's going on with you know, the times that we're living in james uh, james harden trying to get himself out of a contract the certain with the ways that he's doing it it's um he's, he's taking advantage of it and um from a player's perspective you have to you have to respect it because they're understanding the opportunities and they're understanding the times we're living in. So I, I expect the owners and the GMs and the, the league to tighten up on 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 these rules in the future because they're starting to see that the players are really taking control of of their um taking control of their careers and and, and, and even under contract. So it's a it's it's crazy times <laughs> we're living in. But um I, I I expect some changes to be made. Agreed, agreed. There for sure. And now the great controversy and the great mystery. Where will James Harden land and who will step up to the plate and actually be able to to get into the great James Harden sweepstakes? That is the question that 31 teams right now are trying to figure out. And, Mike, where are your thoughts on this? I see. Well, reports are coming out that he's looking at – that Brooklyn is looking at uh, a potential trade for him and teams like that. Man, it's tough, man. It's, it's really tough. I don't, I don't, I see him potentially going to Brooklyn. I don't like the move, but I see him going to Brooklyn because they have the most assets for him. I see Boston potentially making a trade for him with their plays. Um, <laughs> with their assets, because Boston has, has a strong amount of assets as well. Um, I love him in Philly, but I just don't think Philly has enough pieces to get him. Uh, it's just it's, it's so many, it's a few teams that I, I potentially could see him. I think Philly makes the most sense with him and Embiid, especially the way Embiid is playing right now. But um, it's, 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 it's not too many teams I see 
that would that would give up uh, what they have right now for James Harden. You, you see what's interesting to me, Mike? I think Brooklyn is interesting. Now, obviously, KD came to Brooklyn because of the commitment with Kyrie, and Kyrie was the first domino effect to fall in Brooklyn, and so this has been an ongoing thing for them to be in New York. Most people thought that'd be in the garden and not in the... <laughs> yeah. But behind closed doors, you talk about Sean Marks and, and in some of these, he's, you know, his temporaries. They'll tell you, Kevin Durant has a no-trade clause. I mean, Kevin Durant has a no-trade clause. They will tell you in front of you, yeah, Kevin Durant won't go nowhere. But your guy, Kyrie Irving, he's starting to be another toxic thing in the locker room. This, this is starting to remind me of what happened in Boston and in Cleveland. You know, he as well now all of a sudden is not interested in whether it's not playing basketball or whether it's family matters. The, I haven't read too much up on the situation, but I think they would be willing to trade Kyrie Irving and some pieces for James Harden. And can you imagine James Harden? And Kevin Durant, that'd be an impossible task for defenses to figure out how to how, how to stop that. But I, I think that's the chip that can probably work for Brooklyn because it's not desirable because the the net the Rockets want something back for James Harden. They yeah. they know what James Harden is. This is a guy that has been a runner-up three times for an MVP, four-time scoring champion, a former MVP. They know that James Harden costs a lot. And so I think that's the chess piece that might do it because Kyrie, he chose to come to Brooklyn. You know what I'm saying? Now there's 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 questions as in terms of his commitment to the team. Is he desired or bold enough to even want to play basketball? I think that might be the chip that lands Harden in Brooklyn. I don't, I realistically speaking, I can't see a scenario where Harden lands in Brooklyn without, you know, Kyrie being the, the guy in, in that uh, possible trading package. What's your thoughts on that? Yeah. I don't see Brooklyn trading Kyrie and um, I don't see Kyrie being a problem in the locker room or so he is in the media. I feel like Kyrie in the locker room is doing very well. Matter of fact, I'm, I know he is because I saw Jared Allen, actually speak on it in an IG live with a, a, a sports reporter in the, in the New York area, if I'm not mistaken, where the, he asked him about the Kyrie situation and, and, and about it, it has Kyrie let, let the team and also the organization, the players and stuff, know where he is and stuff like that. And Kyrie, he basically said, yes, we know where he is. Uh, we respect his wishes. We understand this is a, a, a tough time for him. He's, he's sitting out for personal reasons. He's decided... And uh, he wanted everybody in the organization to keep it in-house, what was going on. And that's what it was. And I feel like because all with, with all the backlash that he's getting right now in the media, it's because they don't know what it is that he's sitting out for. You know, it's because it's only all we know is personal reasons. And it's like, you know, it's like when you go to a job and you tell them, you I don't want to, I can't come in or I can't come in for a few days because of personal reasons or it's a family emergency or anything like that. They don't usually ask you why. They don't always just say, okay, you do your thing. But uh, because it's the NBA and because it's the media and because we live in a world where, you know, everything is so uh, in your face and wants to know everything by the minute, and when, when they can't figure out what it is that you're going through, they start spreading lies. Like, for example, with this, this party situation, he was sitting out games well before this party even happened. This, this video even happened about him being maskless. Now, he is going to have to face an NBA protocol. He is going to have to 
face the punishments that comes with that and possibly have to sit out a week and a half or so and quarantine with that situation. But to say that he's doing all this because of a party or something like that, that's just, that's ridiculous. It, it, it doesn't make sense. It doesn't even add up to the to timeline-wise. So <clears throat> I don't see Kyrie as a huge problem in Brooklyn. I don't see them trading Kyrie. I see them loving. I see. Uh, I see them keeping Kyrie and KD together. They see how they how they love each other. But uh, a trade in Brooklyn is feasible. You would have to give up a Karis LeVert. You would. Have, you you're going to have to, whether it's with Kyrie or not, because that what Karis LeVert is continuously adding his value to his to his to his stock every by every game. I mean, he continuously gets better and shows how much of a lethal scorer he is in the game. So Karis Levert is gonna have to be added to the mix, but I just don't see, I just don't see Brooklyn making that move because I don't see them trading Kyrie. I just don't see it. Yeah, maybe. I don't think he's a problem. I don't think he's a real problem in the locker room as much as the media, and much as, as as mainstream media, excuse me, as much as some people are trying to make them make him out to be. Right. Spencer Dinwiddie may be a key piece in that. Oh yeah. Right as well, along with Karis Levert. Um, there's where that's some key things to uh, watch up on. We talk about the NBA as a whole now, Mike, some teams that's really made some noise. Uh, I, I, one that stands out to me is the Charlotte Hornets, Mike, because they've yeah. been impressive. Michael Jordan's team now. He's been, obviously, <laughs> we know Michael Jordan as probably one of the greatest players, if not the greatest uh, uh, athlete in American sports, but pretty, pretty lousy GM and he hasn't done much thus far, but the additions of Gordon Hayward, the additions of LaMelo Ball, pairing them up with Devontae Graham, and and now you've unlocked the game of my, uh, uh, Mikael Bridges. All of a sudden, now he's starting to make some threes, right? Mm-hmm. And then P.J. Washington as well. And so quietly, Mike, very quietly, the Charlotte Hornets, 6-5. and five, They sit at the sixth seed in the Eastern Conference. Now I know it's a weird year. There's, the Orlando Magics are top four. <laughs> it's, it's a very weird year, but for a team that none of us had as a potential uh, a team that, you know, not even making the playoffs, but let alone being a playoff contender, this has been very impressive. I love what the Charlotte Hornets have done. Yeah, the Charlotte Hornets look very well right now. They, they, they look very poised. They look um, they, they, they look like a winning franchise, a team, that, a team that knows how to win games now. That, that's, that's what they've been missing in recent history. And Gordon Hayward and guys like that have a lot to do with it. The, what we've seen from Gordon Hayward is what the Gordon Hayward that we saw in Utah uh, coming into his own year after year before the injury uh, it was, uh, in Boston. It was it was um it's been special what we've seen. He's in line for most improved player potentially this season so far. And uh, Lamelo Ball, the progressions he's made as an overall passer, Terry Rozier uh, as a str- and Devontae Graham are straight bucket getters. And uh, this team is. This team, this team is poised, man. They're sneaky good, Mike. Sneaky good, and, and they're sneaking up on some teams as well that that might come in and start take and take them lightly. But um, yeah, yeah, I, I like what I'm seeing from Charlotte early on. Agreed, agreed there for sure. That's just some of the uh, biggest news. Um, there as well in the NBA, and then in the in the opposite conference, should I say, <laughs> in the uh, excuse me. In the uh, Western Conference, Utah is up to two now. Now, again, it's it's a weird year. We're sure the Utah Jazz won't stay there at two, but Quinn Snyder, he has to love the start. Yeah, he does. I, I know he. I know he didn't like the 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 the, tri- the trip to New York. You know, losing to getting blown out by the Brooklyn Nets and then coming back the next day and blowing a double digit lead to the New York Knicks. I know he didn't like the. The New York trip of their west of their East Coast road trip, but I'm sure he he thoroughly enjoyed 
their win against the Cleveland Cavaliers uh, last night, I believe. But um, Utah has played very well. And, and the Milwaukee Bucks as well, Mike. And, and the Milwaukee Bucks. Utah has played very well. And, uh, and, 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 and uh, like you said, they're a team that when they're healthy and they have all their, all their pieces together, and they they they're very poised to make a run this year and uh depending on the matchups they can they they're always going to be one of the more dangerous teams in the Western Conference when they're healthy you know with with their superstars that they have on that team it's just a tough team and it's to, it's even to more tough to play in Salt Lake City with their crowd well their crowdless crowd now <laughs> uh given the circumstances with covid uh a quick quickly here in the college game um four unbeatens are still Gonzaga Baylor you still have uh, Michigan, who had a huge big game last night uh, against Wisconsin in their building uh, um, there as well. Let's talk about those Wolverines, Mike. Uh, led by Jawan Howard, Isaiah Livers, they put on a show. And what I think, Wisconsin is probably one of the best teams in the country. They really put a hat on them last night. Man, did they, Sebi? They were at, at one point in the second period, they were up almost 30 points. I mean, they, they, it was a dominant performance. Throughout that game, I was I was thoroughly impressed with Michigan, and it put a smile on my face because I root for Jawan Howard and the success for, for this program moving forward. To see them get a top five win like that early on in the season against, like you said, a very tough Wisconsin team, it was it was it was great to see. It was uh, it was great basketball, and this is this is a program shaping win. This is a, a win that can help them for 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 future future years to come and give them the confidence to finish off this season the right way. Agreed, agreed there for sure. KU got a huge, huge meltdown uh, against the Cowboys. Kate Cunningham, Mike, if he's not the number <laughs> one overall pick, if he isn't the number one overall pick, I'm not sure who. Uh, the brother is a smooth operator. You know that song from, from Sade, the smooth operator? Yeah. That's Kate Cunningham. He is spectacular. I thought defensively, though, what they did against Bill Self's team was impressive in, in Kansas. It's not easy to say that you got you beat Kansas being physical. And actually the Cowboys did that last night. That was a huge win for them and their route to be able to contend in the Big Twelve. Yeah, yeah. And when you have an all world player like Kate Cunningham, you're gonna be able to contend in in any conference. Well Sebi, this guy's phenomenal. I mean I had to do my research on this guy and do my homework on him. And then you're watching, watching them play. Uh, Smooth, Mike. This guy, he's got all the tools, man. He's going to be one of the top picks, if not the number one overall pick next year's draft. Uh, I, I look forward to seeing how he finishes this season and what he does in the tournament. But, yeah, this kid is special. He's the real deal. People should really get tuned into Oklahoma State basketball because this guy is special. The Longhorns have caught my attention, Mike. Mm -hmm. A guy that you know very well yeah. in Shaka Smart. He came from VCU to Texas in a powerhouse like Texas to not only be able to recruit, but to have success in the Big 12. He came in the Big 12 to beat the Baylors, to beat uh, uh, Bill Self in Kansas, and he's actually doing it. Boy, did they put a hat uh, against Kansas at their own building in the fog. It's random you win games at the fog in KU, and they put on a hat on Kansas a, a few weeks ago. It's safe to say now, Mike, that the Longhorns and the Baylor Bears, they're the class of the Big 12. Yeah, they definitely. This was a big year for Shaka Smart. Shaka Smart's uh, job, not only job, but reputation was on the line uh, coming into this season after 
you know, just just underperforming year after year after year here in Texas after what we've seen from him in VCU. Getting that big contract, there was high expectations for Shaka Smart coming into Texas, and we're starting to see that come into fruition. This coach, he's coaching his tail off this year. He has this Texas team playing at a very high level, playing very competitive basketball, and they they look like one of the top teams, like you said, in the conference, but but also in in college basketball in the country for sure, absolutely in the country there. Uh, for sure. Let's talk about Kentucky, Mike, because obviously they, they just lost to Alabama. Sharif Cooper put on a show mm-hmm. for the Crimson Tide. Uh, it might have been some motivation about what the Crimson Tide did in their <laughs> Nick Saban squad. But nevertheless, they went into Kentucky and Rupp Arena and defeated the uh, uh, Kentucky Wildcats. This is a weird year for the Wildcats. It's not. It's strange to see a Calipari team, Mike under 500 and under 500 by a long shot. I mean, this is a two and eight team. BJ Boston is highly recruited out of high school, excuse me, and hasn't really delivered. And I think his draft stock may impact that. It's, it's, it's a weird year for Kentucky. They, they get all these one and dones, but this year, none of them has hit Mike. No, none of them have hit this year. And so this is, this is what you, this is what you have. When it's it's it just it's it's just it's not cohesive to me. It's nothing. Um, it's just like a bunch of kids out there just playing hoops. It's, it's no it's not a team. Right. You know when I watch Kentucky play basketball this year, nothing seems right with them. They they, they look like uh just a bunch of guys at the park just shooting around. There's no organization. The Kyler Perry continuously looks. Uh, sick on the sideline to the point where sometimes he's just standing up. He has to go to the bench and just sit down and just he just, he doesn't want to say anything until he gets the full team's listen. It's no discipline. It's it, it, it's it's a weird year for Kentucky. It's, it's something we're not used to. Uh, but 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 that's what you have when you have a lot of uh, players that come into your organization expecting to just be one and done, uh, do their thing, and then get up out of there. Once you guys come together and realize that the, the success that some of the stars that you see in the NBA that had when they played in Kentucky, their success was that they played together and that their success was built off not only their individual performances, but the, the performance of the team and how well the team was doing. And off that is what built their draft stock, is what built them up as an asset. It's, it's not just going out there and just trying to be that one-on-one player, and that's what we're seeing in Kentucky. And it's quite odd coming from a John Calipari team, late team, Sebi. It is. It's, it's very strange. You you really don't see that at all. And and what Calipari is, he's, he's a great motivator as well. This UK team just doesn't seem motivated. Let's go to the Big Ten, Mike, and a Big Ten conference that may be the best conference in America. We talk about Luca Garza in Iowa. Ayo Dusamu, one of my favorite players in college basketball in Illinois. We know about Isaiah Livers in Michigan. Potentially, we might see double-digit teams make this conference a powerhouse come at large bids in the NCAA tournament. The Big 12, night in and night out, Mike, you got to be prepared. This this is one of the strongest conferences in recent memory. You have to, and it started building up, it started building up over time. It was something that, that progressed over time. You know, year after year after year, you started to see uh, more competitive basketball. You started to see these teams look even more and more competitive, deeper in the, into the tournament, into going against some of these top teams that we see that we see in basketball in recent memory. So it's 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 going to be interesting to see what, what we look like as we get closer and closer to March uh, with these teams. But right now, yeah, the Big Twelve is it's, it's something to, it's something to look out for for future future references. And of course. 
the great question of them all, that great <laughs> school up there in Spokane, Washington, led by Mark Few, Gonzaga. Mike, yeah. what have they done? I mean, it's just tremendous. Is there a team that could compete with this team? Baylor. Baylor came. And we were robbed of that game early in the season to really see an early matchup of it. But Baylor, Baylor definitely can match up with this team. Baylor uh, uh, could compete with them. Outside of that, it's not too many other teams that could because this Gonzaga team can score the basketball at will. You have to score at least 80, 80 to 85 points, close to 90, in order to beat this team uh, on it, on any given night. And it's not too many teams in college basketball that have the offensive firepower to hang with this Gonzaga team. Jalen Sutton is the real deal. This team is, is all world, and they're very well coached. And they're very disciplined, and you're gonna have you're gonna have to score. You're gonna have to be efficient uh, on all levels going against the team. Baylor can do it, but outside of them, I don't see anybody else. That can yes, as, as it stands, we have a blockbuster trade. The Nets will acquire the Rockets' James Harden in a blockbuster deal. Blockbuster deal. Details uh, of this um, later. I don't know what it is yet, but a blockbuster deal. Then Harden. Being a member of the the different Mets, Mike Haymakers, Mike Haymakers, Mike. What's your last remark? Oh wow, that's that, that's interesting. I'm 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 interested to see what the Houston Rockets are receiving from the Brooklyn Nets in this trade. That's the biggest key for me. Um, <laughs> wow, that's a huge trade, and uh, wow, we know that Kevin Durant and James Harden are getting ready to take over the NBA offensively. This is going to be special, Sebi. This is definitely, <laughs> definitely uh, special for sure. And that actually wraps up our week of our great show. And uh, <laughs> we definitely have a lot to talk about this. This is uh, this is what you consider a Woj bomb for sure. <laughs> for sure. Yeah, this is, this, is, this is epic. This is big. This, this, could, be, this could be season Yep, th- this could be uh, – uh, uh, how should I say this could be alter like NBA powerhouse shifting, right? If all of a sudden you got to look at the Lakers, but the Lakers have to look at as this as like a competition. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yes. This, this, this is their, this is their toughest competition right now. Assuming that, that they would get out the Eastern conference, but uh, it's, it's still early. We would have to see how they would work together. But right now this is, this is a big moment. Hey, everyone. We're excited just as much as you guys tonight if you enjoyed this show. And frankly, even some of our other episodes as well. If you want to show your appreciation for the show, ensure that you leave us a rating and a review in our iTunes and Spotify. And remember, you can stay locked in here and connected. Sebupodcast.info link for the latest news, articles, interviews, and much more. And remember, wherever you're listening on air or online, the Sebi Podcast is wherever you go.